Welcome to today's BCOG online podcast episode. These weekly sermons are a part of the growing online ministry of God. Buford Church of God is a growing multi-campus and multicultural Pentecostal church north of Atlanta. We are reaching people around the world to see lives transformed through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in with us and enjoy today's episode with Senior Pastor Joey Grizzle. Acts chapter 20, starting with verse 7. Now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. No complaining over how long this service is going to last. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking on and on, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is still in him. Now when he had come up and broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed and they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. Say amen at the reading of God's word. You may be seated. That name Eutychus has an unusual translation. Dr. Greg Baird, who's not really a doctor, but we'll call him that for translation purposes. He's our state ministries director. At the time when he discussed this passage, he was our state youth director. And he said that if you literally translate the word Eutychus from the Greek into English, it means Eutychus too if you fell out a third story window. Before I dive into this sermon, I want to talk about a couple of theological points here that will bore a significant number of you. My apologies. Just doodle on your phone or whatever it is you do to survive a service when you're bored. There's two things being mentioned here on a theological level, so let me condescend to teach for just a moment. The first is, it says they were worshiping on the first day of the week. Say first day of the week. There are those who will come to you and try and impose upon you guilt for not worshiping on the Sabbath day. And so we've caught up a vernacular or a statement that says this is the Christian Sabbath. Trying to pacify a crowd that will diminish our worship because we're worshiping on Sunday. They will say that we worship on Sunday because we have allowed our church to become slaves to that lost idolatrous culture of the Romans and the Greeks. And that if we were really serving God, we would worship God on Saturday. Well, that's not true. In Acts chapter 20, they worshiped on Sunday. And the reason they worshiped on Sunday is because it was the first day of the week in keeping with two big events for the early church. Number one, early one Sunday morning, angels confronted shepherds, not shepherds, my apologies, disciples. They should have been shepherds of people at that time, but right then they were not anything. They were just complainers, if I can condescend to calling disciples names at this moment. But 
They spoke to those disciples. Why seek ye the living among the dead? Jesus is not dead, but he's alive. Because Jesus rose from sun, on Sunday, they started worshiping on the first day of the week. We also celebrate on Sunday because in Acts chapter 2, it says on that Sunday, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and cloven tongues of fire sat down on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. We worship on Sunday because that's what they did. We worship on Sunday because that's what the Holy Spirit did on the first day of the week. We worship on Sunday because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. Why do we worship on Sunday? Because we're right. The second thing that's going on here is a little bit more nerdy. So be prepared. This is going to take a minute to explain. This lays the foundation for what I consider the theology of children's ministries. We have extensive youth and children's ministries here, not because it's creative or because it's effective, but because it's biblical. In this particular passage, we see Paul leaving the church primary and going into the streets, Troas, to rescue a child who had been damaged from a dangerous worship service. And in this particular passage, what rescued that child was not what rescued the adults. The ministry to that child was different than the ministry to those that were in the room. And so we set up this idea predicated upon the assumption that it's not wrong for us to seek a communication method to young people that may be different than the communication method that we use for older people. Coleman and I were talking about this. He referenced that this particular argument started with the revivalist movement, especially the colonial Puritan movement. And that the church here, especially in America, found that this religious excitement that adults could feel in worship was not being shared with the children and so they created a theology of an age of innocence or accountability so that a child was not necessarily required to have the same religious expressions. Now, I think they were on to something. They just had the wrong conclusion. But they created what you and I call an age of accountability. For this reason, we don't baptize infants. I hope this isn't too boring. I know that... I'm way into Bible nerd land right now. But give me just a few minutes. I, I want to teach you something. Catholics will baptize infants believing that the baptism is salvation. So they have infant baptism. They'll bring the child to the church and they'll do the ceremony. And the child will be baptized into the Catholic church, which is synonymous with salvation in the Catholic church. We teach that a child cannot be baptized until they're old enough to recognize the meaning of the baptism. Meaning that until a child can make a moral decision to serve God, they're not qualified to exemplify with emptiness the sacraments of the church. But we also invert that to simultaneously mean that if a child cannot morally accept God, then they cannot morally reject God. 
that not only is there an age of accountability, there is an age of innocence. Which means we believe that if a child dies before they reach the age of accountability, we believe they go to heaven. We believe that a child who has no moral ability to reject or accept walks in the innocence of the Garden of Eden until they themselves partake of the fruit. They're born with the sin nature, but that sin's not credited to their account in the same way as an adult who makes a moral decision to reject God. Too many words, still have some more. Stay with me. I am really testing your attention span. Catholics will teach that if a child's not baptized into the church, that they will actually go to what you and I describe in their doctrine as a purgatory, a place of transformation, preparation, so that they can become part of the family of God through trial and whatever happens there. We believe that if a child dies before the age of accountability, they're in heaven. If you've miscarried, you have a child in heaven. If you've had an abortion, they're in heaven. That doesn't mean that we help them get there. That doesn't mean we agree with abortion. It just means God loves that baby as much as he loves you. And when you get to heaven, there's going to be a family of God. All sins will be forgiven. Somebody talk to me. Mia and I, we have a child already in heaven. David said when he prayed for a child that died after birth, fasting and praying and grieving, they came to him and told him the child was dead. He stood up, washed himself, and began to eat. And they said, why do you celebrate now that the child is dead and grieved while the child was alive? He said, while the child was alive, I prayed thinking God may heal that baby and overcome the sin that I brought on my own family. But now that the child is dead, there's nothing left to me but to praise and rejoice. For now I can go to him, but he cannot come to me. David is the one theologian in the Old Testament that laid the foundation for there being a heaven amongst the Old Testament prophets. For he said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Which means if he can go to that child, that child is in the house of the Lord forever. We also predicate this assumption on what Jesus said when he came triumphant into the city streets of Jerusalem. Children were the ones that waved palm branches, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the older crowd got angry and said, tell these children to shut up. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're doing. And Jesus said, hold on. If they should hold their peace, then the rocks and the hills will cry out. No wonder Jesus taught us that unless you become like a child, you'll not enter into the kingdom of God. We believe that a child can embrace God, but in a different way. What do I mean by that? If there's an age of innocence and then there's an age of accountability, then ministry to children is different from ministry to adults in one regard. When we minister to children, we speak to the innocence in them. When we speak to adults, we speak to the emptiness in them. The problem I see in the modern church is we're preaching to children like they're adults. And we're preaching to adults like they're children.
We go down into children's ministry. Stand up. Sit down. Sit up straight. Pay attention. Bring your Bible. Make sure you pay in the offering. Share your stuff. Don't you do that. You go here. Make sure you're lined up. You've got to be on time. Don't you dare get away with this. You've got to pay attention. You can't get away with coming to church and not participating. Lift your hands. Praise the Lord. Come to the altar. Send them to the school. And and the school talks about sexuality at an early age trying to indoctrinate them with the sins of this world, the internet bombarding them, giving them all kind of crazy thoughts and temptations, assaulting them. And yet when adults come to church, don't you dare mention tithe paying. Don't you dare mention you have to go to church. Don't you dare talk about drinking. Don't you dare talk about homosexuality. Don't you dare talk about promiscuity. Don't you dare bring up these sins. I'm tired of adults acting like babies in the house of God. We preach to their innocence, but I preach to your emptiness. Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. In this house, we will preach to you according to the wisdom that you have received from God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Too many seeker-sensitive movements are trying to talk to adults like they're children. Okay, boys and girls. We're all going to have a good time today. Is the temperature just right for you? Is everything okay? You're a blessing. You're such a wonderful creation. You're like flowers in the garden of God. He's here to bless you and make you feel better. Nobody's going to hurt your feelings here. We don't do that. We don't even shout here. We're going to keep our voices nice and quiet. This is our inside voices. (laughs) Got bad news for you. You're in the wrong church if you like that kind of church. In this house, we're going to pray until God's glory comes down. I want the fires of Pentecost to burn the devil right out of my life. I want the devil out of this church. I want him out of your family. I want him out of your business, your babies, and your bodies. I want the demons out and the Holy Ghost in. I want the gifts of God to call you into a new place of anointing. I want you walking on water and moving mountains by faith, laying hands on the sick and watching them recover. And we can't do Ministry for men and women if we've got to coddle you like you're a child. Well, Pastor, I'm easily offended. Well, I don't know who invited you. They should have warned you before you got here. I believe that God has given me a unique calling. I believe that God has called me to reach the lost generation of Pentecostal children that have fallen out of the windows of our movement. Are my ears ringing or is the whole place ringing? Am I standing in the wrong place? Okay. I didn't know if that was a trumpet sounding, the rapture taking place. Are you coming, Lord? Is this it? Is this better? It's not better? It's what? Oh, it's an air vent. I'll stand right here. (laughs) Now we can stay till midnight. (laughs) I believe that there's a lost generation... Pentecostals 
because we wrongly had the assumption that our youth and children need to be in big church with the rest of us. And they don't need to act like children. We're going to make them grow up like adults. No, they don't come to God like you. And it's not wrong to have children's ministries. And we lost a whole generation of young people because they got to sit in here with a bunch of adults, especially in business meetings, dividing churches over carpet colors and song selection. Somebody talk to me. And we lost a lot of children in, in the Pentecostal movement because they fell out the window and all we could do was complain about them getting dirty down there in the streets, playing around in the mud down there in the dirt. Them children didn't stay up here where we had all the gas lights and we put them all in the windows until they were bored spitless and then they fell out a window and then all we can do is hurl accusations at a bunch of kids who are losing their mind to a culture that's convincing them that they're homosexual, they're hooked on porn, drug addicts, can't figure life out, they don't know if they're a boy or a girl if they they don't know how to get up in the morning without somebody giving them some sort of pill to pop somebody help me talk about it the devil is after this generation and we've lost them and I believe the Buford Church of God has been strategically anointed to reach to them and let the glory of God pull them out of hell baptize them in the spirit I believe with all of my heart that God's anointed us. We have one of the fastest growing children's ministries in North Georgia. Before this day is over with, we have over 100 children that will go through our children's program downstairs. We have 50 to 75 children that will go through our nursery program. On Wednesday night, we have a bilingual Awana program to reach the kids not only of our church, but also of the community. We have a youth program running 50 to 75 children that that we glorify in God and that we teach them how to worship and how to lead and how to preach and how to pray. We have a college ministry. They meet on Sunday nights. Yesterday, our college ministry loaded up the truck and they took the stage to the neighborhood. They stood on the back of that stage and they handed out donuts until enough children got around them and they sang songs unto God. They glorified His name until the power of God made a difference in Buford. In this church, we babysit parents, but we minister to children. We believe with all of our heart that Eutychus doesn't have to fall out of the window. I'm tired of the church waiting until we lose them to get desperate about keeping them. I want to build a church where we can keep them from falling out of a window, where we can preach the gospel in such a way that they don't sell their soul to the devil. The greatest testimony is not I once was lost and now I'm found. I once, to be, I once was a drug addict. I, I used to be a sinner. I used to live this way and now I've changed. No, the greatest testimony is I went to church at an early age. God saved me when I was old enough to talk. He filled me and baptized me with the Holy Ghost when I didn't even know how to lift my hands. I was raised in church. The Word of God came down into my soul. He kept me and preserved me and blessed me and anointed me in raise me up to be a child of God. That's the testimony we want. That's the testimony that we want. Hallelujah. Thank God for Paul. Thank God for somebody in the church that wasn't afraid to go down there and get in the dirt with that baby. To to leave where they were. Go down there and get involved with the dirty places of that baby's life. When I go to Ukraine, there's a testimony in one of the homes there. I didn't know they were excited about it until the director told me. 
We went there one Christmas and we gave them a specific game. It was these tops that you spin and they would fight it out in this little arena and one of them would topple over and the one who had the one still spinning, they would be the winner. You probably have played this game or at least have seen it. And, and I went over there and they were in there playing that game and I said, hold on, let me show you how to play this game. I'm going to wax every one of you. Just go ahead and bring you. I'll show you. I, I played the first game and his little top knocked mine down. I said, you cheated. You little you little cheater. I know how things are. I, you cheated too. You laughing at him. I'll, I'll tune you. Everybody, like, come on. I got him in there and we were, we were making a show. I mean, just pandemonium in there. And I was sitting in the floor and those boys later testified, you know, that's the first time that a preacher ever got in the floor with us. little girl in my ministry I had at the Boys and Girls Club in Cleveland, Tennessee. Heather Price, toughest little girl you ever seen in your life. She would do anything that the program demanded of her. And we were behind the... Okay, don't tell anybody. But we were playing war games in the graveyard behind the building there. <laughs> And we all had our Nerf guns out there. And, you know, we'd pay our respects before we jumped over the wall. But, but we were out there. We had all our Nerf guns. And, and, and we were, we were going to play out there. And the, it was the only place we had to play. And, and I was sitting there. And I had a battalion of 15. And we all had our little Nerf guns. And the other battalion coming up the side. And I was going to trick them. They didn't know where I was. I was going to sneak up on them. I always won every war game. I'd find a way to disappear in the woods and come around from an area you never thought I would be in. So we were standing there going to surprise them, jump out and shoot them all to the glory of God. <laughs> Heather Price standing there right beside me. I looked down at Heather Price. I said, Heather Price, sure, yes, sir. You willing to do whatever I tell you to do? Sure, yes, sir. Your grades stink. How can some girl be so smart and yet make such bad grades in school? You're going to church, you're trying to get your life right, and now you're not doing things right at the school. You get back to school, you get them grades up. Sure, yes, sir. I want them things turned into winning grades. If you're going to be part of this program, then you're going to be a winner. You understand? Sure, yes, sir. Everybody, arms up. Charge! <laughs> a few weeks later, Heather Price walks into my office there at the club. She has a little wadded up piece of paper. She always kind of walked like this. She walked in with that wadded paper, threw it at me. She turned around and walked off. And I stood up and I took that little wadded up piece of paper and I unfolded it and it was a report card. A little girl brought her D up to an A. Brought all her C's up to A. Straight A, B, honor roll. After that moment, sure did. I got all of the senior cadets and all the, the Marine Corps had loaned us a drill sergeant and we brought him in and I, I had everybody dressed up and we formed a parade. We had these, we formed a, a, a tunnel with her arms up like that and she had to walk down. She saluted me and we gave her a medal of academic achievement. All because I was willing to hold a Nerf gun and stand there where the child was standing. See, too many times you're asking people to come to you, and sometimes you got to go to them. Now, let me preach here for a minute. Had it not been for God getting down in the dirt with you, 
you'd be lost. But thanks be unto God when he saw us down in the wrong place at the wrong time in our own life, the Spirit of God left the third floor of heaven and he came down and he got in the dirt with me. He's not afraid to be involved with the dirty places of my life. So how can I now sit in a church and not get involved with people's lives who are trying desperately just to survive? No, it's time, it's time, it's time. Coleman, come stand with me. You know, we, we sent him into Congo. You know, when I say we sent him, this church, we pretty well supplied the finances to take a trip into the Congo. And when he got there, he met starvation like he had never witnessed in his life. Children that were so hungry and so starved that they were stiff from malnutrition. Couldn't even bend their limbs, just totally devastated by hunger. As a matter of fact, when we open these orphans in Congo, we can't take children who are just hungry. They have to be at the point of death because there's just so many of them. We can only rescue those that are almost dead. When he went there, he found two brothers living in squalor. This church sent the money and we rescued them babies. There they are now. Thank you. I once was lost, but now I'm found. We got to get in the dirt, church. You know, there's only two kind of buildings that have stained glass windows. Bars and churches. Because <laughs> both crowds don't want you to know when they're in there. I think it's time that the redeemed of the Lord say so. I think it's time to leave, a, leave all the religion alone for a minute and let's go down there into the streets and the highways and the byways and let's rescue somebody. Let's pull them out of darkness and be what God called us to be. Be hands extended to go down into their lives and be involved because they're falling out of the windows of our worship services. And sometimes what reaches us doesn't necessarily reach them. I base this on a strong theological position that in the last days he had poured out his spirit on all flesh. That our sons and our daughters will prophesy. That our little babies are going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Power of God's going to fall on them. Some little girl's going to grab a Bible and jump up on a cafeteria table and wave that Bible over her head and declare that Jesus is the only way unto salvation. I believe there's a revival coming to America's school system. I believe the power of God is about to fall. Pastor, how can you say that? Because I believe in the reason God had me name my children what I named them. I named Jonathan after my favorite warrior in the Bible. When Jonathan and his armor bearers stormed the gates of hell, declared war on the Philistines when his father was terrified under a pomegranate tree with a diminishing army. I named Josiah after my favorite king who led a revival because he fell in love with the word of God. And both of my boys in their own way have lived up to my expectation. Jonathan is downstairs right now with the children leading them in worship. And I have many pictures of Josiah when he was younger. He would grow, as he was growing up, he would be at night reading his Bible. I would walk in and say, son, you need to go to bed. And he would say, daddy, just one more chapter. Just one more chapter. 
And I've got pictures of him falling asleep. He'll be asleep in his bed with his Bible across his chest because one's a warrior and one's a word. And I believe God led me prophetically to name them. And let me tell you what that Josiah name means to me. When God brings a revival that holds back judgment, there's an Old Testament theology about the judgment of God and how a revival generation can hold back judgment to the fourth generation. In other words, if you have revival, then it protects your children and your grandchildren. But if your great-grandchildren reject the message handed down to them, then the great-grandchildren will not only reap the judgment that they have inherited, they will also release the judgment that has been built up by God to destroy the whole land. This is based upon the life of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a revival generation. Hezekiah sought God. The Bible says he was one of the greatest kings in all of Israel's history. That he loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he held off the wrath of God. God had already decided to judge them. As a matter of fact, he reinforced that. He told Hezekiah, I will judge this land, but now I won't do it in your day. And so he preserved Israel because of Hezekiah's faithfulness. Hezekiah had a son that rebelled against God. He had a grandson that rebelled against God. And the fourth generation came along and the judgment of God was almost going to fall on the people of God. But thanks be unto God, Josiah found the Bible in the temple. And the Bible says there was no one like Josiah before him or after him. And Josiah single-handedly held off the wrath of God. And God said, I was going to destroy the land. I was going to ruin it. But Josiah has caused a revival and I will hold back my judgment. Josiah's son rebelled against God. Josiah's grandson rebelled against God. And his great-grandchild in the fourth generation rebelled against God, and God destroyed the whole land. I believe that America stands under the threat of the coming judgment of God. I believe that we have shaken our fist in the face of God and lived on His prosperity while being ungrateful and unthankful for what God has given us. We've raised up churches that have sent our children flying out of the windows of our ministries until we have very little left that we can say looks like what God gave us when the revival first came. I believe the greatest revival generation in American history is the World War II generation. I believe what they accomplished in their life cannot be paralleled. They have been called, rightly so, the world's greatest generation. They gave us churches. They gave us courage. They gave us freedom. They rescued us from the tyranny of Nazis. They gave us the power to call God our King. But the baby boomer generation rebelled against their parents and brought about abortion. They brought into this nation sexual revolution. They brought into this nation division, hatred, and anger. The baby boomers gave birth to my generation. We call ourselves Generation X. And the greatest claim that we have as Generation X is we're the people that watered down the church. 
We created a seeker-sensitive movement that called evil good and good evil. We watered down the church to the point you didn't even know whether it was a church or whether it was a ball club. Somebody talk to me. The world became so churchy and the church so worldly you couldn't tell the two apart and our generation became the undefined generation with no greatness but no absolute failure. This unbelievable Passive compromise between good and evil. But I named my son Josiah because I believe there's a generation that's coming whose daddy didn't serve the Lord and whose granddaddy didn't serve the Lord. But I believe there's going to rise a generation in this land that's going to glorify and magnify God, that the sower's going to overtake the reaper, and the Josiah generation is going to rise up and push back against the tide that's come in like a flood, and the Spirit of God is going to raise up a standard against him. And one more time, we will see the revival of God sweep through this land. I believe it with all of my heart. I sense God moving and his power is real it's from everlasting to everlasting here's the thing you know what we're called we Gen Xers and we baby boomers and if any of you are here from the World War II generation you know what we're called the remnant not enough of us to be a majority just a few of us that are left. Somebody asked me one time, why does your church keep growing when you're in the middle of all of these mega churches? I said, because if you want what we've got, we're it. I don't have any competition. <laughs> if you want what's here at Buford Church of God, I'm not trying to compete with anybody. This Sometimes it feels like a game of the last man standing. But what we're called is the remnant. Just the leftovers. Our generation's lost. But as for you and me, we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. And we assemble at the Buford Church of God with the high hope and high ambition that while I'm up here preaching to you, the power of God is going to fall on them down there. That the glory of God is going to sweep through the next generation. And what we've heard about in the remnant of our own hearts and minds, we can now see with our eyes as God pours out His Spirit and resurrects the dead of a culture that's turned apostate towards God. I believe that I'm John the Baptist generation. I'm not him. Not the one. But there's one coming after me. Whose shoes I'm not worthy to tie. See, here's the thing. Your significance can be determined by the size of the giant that faces you. This generation downstairs, they're being assaulted by hell. From an early age, the devil's trying to tell them they're homosexual. From an early age, he's trying to poison their mind with pornography. From an early age, they get bombarded with the internet. Divorce rates out the roof. Half of them don't even know if they're a boy or a girl. Talk to me, church. Look at the hell they're having to face. Sometimes it terrifies me. Then other times it excites me. 
Because if Satan's fighting them this hard, it must mean that they terrify him. You know why the devil's trying to kill them before they're born? Because he knows that his time is short. That when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, lift up your head. Your redemption draws nigh. We stand on the edge of the greatest prophetic revival in history. God is about to fulfill his word and pour out his spirit on all flesh. And hell knows it. And Buford Church of God, we will prepare this congregation to reach into the darkness and pull them out of the dirt and see God move in their life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand with me all over the house. Lift your voice like thunder right now and let's glorify God. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for a holy anointing on the Buford Church of God. Heavenly Father, give us courage and faith to move mountains by one word spoken from our heart. Pastor, there's not enough of us of the remnant generation. The Bible says one can put a 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. If any two will you agree is touching anything, you can ask what you will, and it shall be done, says the Lord. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm right there in the middle of them. It ain't over. I didn't hear a bell ring. And I'm still standing in the arena. We have one more round left in us. And the devil will not take the champion's belt from the church. The Bible says if you give just a cup of water to a man of God because they're a preacher, you'll in no wise lose your reward. You've given me more than a cup of water. You've listened to everything I had to say. You've helped me say it. You've helped me preach. It means more to me than any cool, refreshing drink that I could have. And for that reason, I have authority to release blessing in your life. So I bless you. I ask God to overwhelm you with His love. Wrap His arms around you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine on you. Give you peace. May you be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. Blessed when you rise and when you lay down at night. I pray that he would bless your business, your babies, and your bodies. That his glory be revealed in you. I ask him to give you beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that you might be called trees of righteousness, a planting in the garden of God. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm on your face and the rains fall softly on your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you next Sunday. 
We hope you enjoy Pastor Joey's word today. To find out more about our ministry, visit bcog.me. Our services are live streamed weekly on Sundays at 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you have any questions, you can talk to one of our pastors anytime via bcog.me messenger. 